celebration of our salvation. We want to thank you for our Lord and Savior you went to the cross yep. to die so that we could have eternal life with you. Father, we do want to make a special petition to come up to you today for Brother Billy as he has undergone some battles with a ruptured appendix, Father, and for Brother Turner, Father, as he is there uh, as well, recuperating from a tragic accident. Yep. Uh, Father, we ask that you would just bless the service today be with the choir, but most of all, be with our pastor as he breaks a word to us today, Father. Lord, we'd ask you, Father, if there's one here that's not saved, God, that you would touch that heart and have them to come to know salvation before they leave, leave today. Father, now we'd ask that your will be done. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. When you look back over the sea of our lives and the times we've messed up and failed the Lord, I'm so glad that he doesn't see our past. He's buried it in the sea of God's forgetfulness. You listen now as the choir sings.
One more for you this morning. I'm so glad to know that I'm a royal descendant. I love this song that Kyla wrote many years ago. I hope it'll bless your heart. You listen as Matt sings, Royal Descendants. Thank you, buddy.
good singing gets us ready for worship today. Thank you for being here. Some quick announcements this morning. Don't forget, of course, our regular 6 o'clock services tonight. Uh, some special things to share with you this evening. Uh, to keep that in mind, if you would. And then uh, next Sunday, uh, we will be doing a little something special in honor of uh, Pastor Ken's birthday. How old will you be, buddy? 53 years old he will be. <clears throat> And uh, you'll notice in there, it took 45 minutes last night for me to type out those words, Carolina Blue Day. In fact, I, as soon as I typed it out, I went and took a shower. But next Sunday, we'll celebrate uh, Pastor Ken's birthday. Encourage everybody to wear Carolina Blue in, favor, in honor of his favorite team. Uh, and then we'll have a big altar call at the end of the service. But uh, we also want to encourage you to bring a gift card. We're going to do a big gift card basket to Brother Ken, thanking him for all he does here around the church. I am very grateful for him and thankful for what he does to help me out. Uh, and I appreciate him so much, so keep that in mind if you would. And then we've got several dates listed in there coming up with a graduation season for our child care center, for our, gra uh, for our uh, Bible college, and, of course, also Awana graduation is listed. But I want to call everyone's attention to graduation Sunday here at the church, which will be June the 3rd. The first Sunday of, the, of June is always graduation Sunday. Uh, we will line the front here with tables uh, for those that want to commemorate their child or themselves graduating. And please let us know if you are taking part in that. Uh, don't forget, if you are a graduate, to let Sister Leanne know. I've already got a couple of invitations that have come, so I've got those. But if, that, if you have not sent out invitations, if you're graduating from somewhere, and you're not sending invitations, make sure you let us know about it so we can recognize you on that Sunday as well. And then let Sister Susan know if you need a table. And then also want to remind everyone that coming up, we have our golf tournament. Brother Ken met with the teens and parents last week and went over some things with that. I'll remind you that uh, the proceeds go to support our teen conference. That'll be coming up at the end of June. And also a reminder to the teams this year, a little something different. Those of you who secure whole sponsors, portion of that also goes to help offset your costs. So be actively engaged in that if you would as well. All right, let me get all the little ones head up here this morning. If you're heading to Children's Church, Junior Church, come on, make your way. If you're visiting, they're going to correct loose change you got. This is our penny march. Take off, young folks.
so much. Two more quick things this morning. First of all, I put out on our call system a couple of days ago to pray for Sister Marie Solomon. She had been in the hospital with pneumonia. Uh, she's home, but continue to lift her up in prayer, if you would, as she recuperates. And then those senior saints who are heading uh, this uh, fall to see our uh, to, to uh, Lancaster to the production up there with uh, that is entitled Jesus. It is first rate. You'll love it. Make sure you sign up and get that information from Brother Bobby, Miss Billy, and all the uh, payments that are due for that. Keep that in mind if you would. I understand y'all had a great time this week, and I appreciate from the bottom of my heart, Brother and Sister Billy, uh, taking on that ministry for our senior saints. All right, folks, come on down this morning. Uh, you mind the Lord with his tithes and your offerings, and uh, whoever's singing, y'all come on. Brandon, come on, buddy. You didn't know it, but you are. Come on, big boy. A lot of you don't know this young man, uh, but if you were with us at Amazing Grace at the old facility, uh, you may remember Brandon used to sing with the Joyful Sounds many years ago. Uh, he's my buddy. I think the world of him. Uh, we kid each other mercilessly. In fact, uh, I will tell you this real quickly just to put a smile on your face. He texted me and said, I'm going to be coming back uh, this coming Sunday. Do I have to give a great big offering? And I, I responded with, well, at least double what you gave last time. He said, well, that's easy. So, <laughs> And then I, said, and I texted him back and said, actually, when you come two Sundays in the row, we make you honorary chairman of the deacon board. He said, I've never been chairman of the deacon board. I said, by the way, that's the name of our boy band here at the church. Amen. <laughs> but I appreciate Brandon. Appreciate You'll get that on the way home. Appreciate that uh, so much His love for the Lord, and I love this song they're going to sing. Father, bless the offering today. May it be what you'd have it to be. Bless the gift and the giver in Christ's name. Amen. As I stumbled to the ground As though I were dead As he finished his story Here's what he said I'm saved And from the rooftops I'll shout it His grace has been sufficient for me And I know judgment to give account for all my past I know I'll see my Savior with my robe and crown at last when the book of life is open on that final judgment day I'll lift my hands toward heaven and here's what I'll say I'm saved yes I'm saved Rooftops, I'll shout it. His grace has been sufficient for me. And I know, yes, I know without a doubt that I'll make it. I'm signed, I'm sealed, and I'm saved. I'm saved, yes, I'm saved, and from 
together one more time page number 203 this morning in your blue songbook the windows of heaven we'll sing it one time through have a time of fellowship page number 203 the windows of heaven are open the blessings are falling tonight they're so
good to see you this morning. The book of Esther today, if you would, please. The book of Esther, chapter number four. The book of Esther, chapter number four. I told the choir this morning, I think I've been inspired to write a new song. I'm going to call it No Crud in Heaven Fair. Amen. As I listen to all of us hack up a lung this morning. Esther, chapter number four. <coughs> What a week. <clears throat> Last week, we gave you the first part of a message that we, Lord willing, will conclude today. We'll see how far we get. That's all about the warfare that Christians are facing in the public arena today. If you were here last week, I gave you 18 different examples of things that have happened in the last 24 months that show clearly that war has been declared on people of faith in this country. Open warfare on people of faith has been uh, very clearly battle lines have been drawn, and we're in a very unusual day and age in America where people of faith feel uh, and understand uh, that their faith is being trampled on in the public arena, the court systems and in many broad-faced arenas, we see clearly that things are taking very drastic turns. Uh, again, I gave you 18 examples last week. I'm going to give you five more that have just happened in the last seven days. Five more things. I told you last week that I uh, make it a habit of whenever I hear about or read about these things, that I uh, drop them in a folder on my computer and uh, I've got countless examples, literally in the thousands of examples over the last 10 years about how people of faith seemingly are, are no longer respected and having those rights trampled upon. That's very eerily similar to the time period in which the book of Esther operates. Again, I will not repeat myself from last week, but I will remind you that when the book of Esther chapter number one opens, it is about... Uh, 150 years from the time of the dispersion. About 80 years have passed uh, since the Jews have been allowed to go back to their homeland, but many chose instead to remain scattered and to remain because their roots were deep. And in so doing, they're living in a time period that was not favorable to the people of faith, uh, of course, to the Jewish faith. I'll make a very bold statement this morning, folks. We, too, are living in a time period that is no longer favorable to people of faith. We're living in a time period where people of faith uh, are somehow now viewed as the enemy. One of my favorite things to preach about, and I usually do it all around about the July 4th week, is the faith-based principles that built this country and how this country was made great by men of faith uh, who took up the cross of freedom, if you will, to establish this country. But the tide has turned now, and now we see that people of faith have somehow become the enemy. On Wednesday nights, we're going through a series of messages out of the book of Jude entitled Contending for the Faith. And those two ideas are inextricably linked. Uh, the simple thought uh, that as things get worse and worse, and I believe the Bible shows clearly they will, that we need people who will step up to the battle lines uh, and contend uh, for the faith. And you'll hear me say this a lot today. 
It's not just battling for us and what we believe in as believers. We are taking a stand for our country because the Judeo-Christian faith is what made this country great. Esther chapter 4, please. Let's read just one verse of Scripture, verse 14. We'll dive in a lot this morning, but let's just refresh our memories with that one verse. Esther's cousin Mordecai is speaking. He says to her, If thou holdest, if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Again, I know I said it last week, but I do want to repeat this morning. Mordecai's faith blesses my heart. He says very clearly, God's going to take care of his people. God's going to protect them and miraculously preserve them. And I'll pause a moment and say, even as things get worse and worse, and as we see the tragedy against our faith unfold in this country, you mark her down, friend. God's going to take care of his people. Let's read it one more time. Shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place? But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Father, thank you for the singing that we've heard this morning. It has prepared our hearts, Lord, for the preaching, for the worship that is to come from the study of your word. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this outline today. Lord, I believe of the many things that I've preached about, few are far more important uh, than this simple reality that we must contend for our faith for such a time as this. We must be on the battlefield. Uh, we must be counted on to take a stand for the cause of Christ in this day and age. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, strengthen us, use us today, Lord, to be a blessing. Use us so that what we say would strengthen us to do the work that you've called us to do. Lord, if that's already been said, if there's someone here, Lord, that has never been saved, God, I pray that this would be the moment, this would be the day, and this would be the hour that the Spirit would convict them and they'd answer that call to salvation. We'll sure thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pastor friend of mine sent me a great little illustration this week. I, get, I have so many pastor friends across the country that know that I love to pick and joke and cut up, and so there's not too many weeks that goes by that somebody doesn't send me something just to put a smile on my face, and I like to put a smile on yours. These uh, three good old boys were uh, bragging about how they were the men of the house and how they had things under total control, and their wives listened to every word that they said. Two of them just went on and on and on, would not stop about how they were the man, and the wife was always in constant subjection. The third one remained incredibly quiet. And so after about 30 minutes of this, one of them looked at the third one and said, Don't you have anything to say? Aren't you the head of your house? Aren't you the man? Don't you wear the pants in your family? That third one said, well, boys, I don't like to brag, but I'll tell you, the last time my wife and I had a fight, she ended up on her knees in front of me. The other two's eyes got big. They said, really? He said, yeah. She looked over at me and said, get out from under that bed and fight like a man. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I won't get an amen out of 27 women, but I heard a bunch of them say, that's right. Yeah. Last week, we talked about 
the incredibly difficult time period, the climate is what we use, the word of the book of Esther. How the Jews in Esther were living, for the most case, in hiding. Even as Esther, as she has ascended to the throne as the queen, had kept her uh, Jewish faith a secret. How her cousin, who was captain of the guard, had commanded her, had encouraged her not to reveal who she really was out of fear of retribution. We talked about the foolish laws that had been enacted and how Haman, one of the guards, if you will, one of the, uh, uh, not guard, rather not guards, but one of the second in command, if you will, had told lies against the Jewish faith and consequently the Jews in the book of Esther are now slated for public execution. The Jews are slated for genocide because of the lies that had been told and the disparaging comments that had made their way back to the king regarding the Jewish people. At this moment, the king does not realize that the woman he's married to is a Jew. At this moment, he does not understand the lies that have been told to him and consequently things are getting worse and worse and worse. Again, I gave you 18 examples last week how in the last two years things have gotten incredibly complicated for the Christian. How in the last two years things have taken a dramatic turn not in favor of the child of God and the Judeo-Christian ethic that built this country but rather against people of faith. And in the last seven days I'd like to give you five more examples if I could that have happened in the last seven days that exemplify just how crazy things have become in our country. This past Monday, April the 23rd, GQ magazine published a list that it called 21 books that are a waste of time to read, and at the top of the list was the Bible. This week, the California legislature passed another law. I talked to you about a few of those last week, but another one passed this week entitled AB 2926, which is called uh, the Homeschool Support Law. A very big misnomer as it sets up an advisory committee in California which will approve whether or not Californians can continue to homeschool their children. Clearly spelled out in the law is a statement that says homeschooling for religious reasons will no longer be accepted in California. April the 25th, just a couple of days ago, a Manhattan Supreme Court justice made a staggeringly strange ruling. This same Supreme Court justice is one that had very publicly come out and said that those who perform wedding ceremonies, those that, 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 that Christian florists or bakers or photographers, must perform at same-sex ceremonies. But this two months ago in Manhattan, a person was thrown out of a restaurant for wearing a hat that said Christians in favor of Trump. That person was thrown out of the restaurant. That's not a political statement. I don't, said, if, I don't care if it said Christians in favor of whatever. The fact that it said Christians in favor of, uh, he was thrown out. That case went to the Manhattan Supreme Court. That justice ruled uh, that the, it was entirely allowable for someone to refuse service uh, to someone because of their political affiliation. When asked uh, how that discrimination would be allowed in juxtaposition with all of his other rulings, 
the judge said the following. The law protects people from racial discrimination. It protects people from gender discrimination. It protects people from sexual discrimination. But the law does not protect people from political discrimination. I want you to understand the overtones of that ruling, church. I want you to get that for just a moment. Someone who has a florist can be sued for following their Christian faith. Meanwhile, it is entirely acceptable for a restaurant uh, to refuse service for someone because of their political affiliation. This world has gone crazy. On Tuesday, April the 24th, a U.S. senator openly declared that he would not support the current nominee for Secretary of State because of what this senator deemed as, I quote, his unpallingly unjust and bigoted moral views of Jesus Christ. On Monday, April the 23rd, the New Yorker magazine carried this headline, Chick-fil-A's creepy infiltration of New York City. The first paragraph said the following, this expansion of Chick-fil-A into New York City feels like an infiltration because of their pervasive Christian traditionalism. He goes on to say, the author does, that Chick-fil-A shows its open bigotry by publishing Bible verses at its headquarters in Atlanta. Goes on to say, most shocking of all, the writer says, as if to glare into our face their Christian faith, they're closed on Sundays. I read this and I think to myself, then don't go. Then don't go. But in reality... We're in a, oh, good golly, Miss Molly. Hey, big boy. What's up, preacher? We're at a point today, folks, where those of us who hold to the Christian faith are recognizing that we're in a very strange predicament. I'll give you one more example. Just two weeks ago, two individuals were applying to a very competitive health care program at a community college in Maryland. I've been on this campus multiple times. There are wonderful people there. These individuals, by all accounts, were extremely highly qualified. In fact, uh, some of the best in terms of academic among all applicants. However, in the interview, one of the young men was asked uh, to name the individual that had most influenced him. He named Jesus Christ. He was uh, refused admission to the program and the program director said the following, I understand that religion is a major part of your life. However, this field of health care is no place for religion. If you interview in the future, you may want to, relieve, you want to, make, you may want to leave your thoughts uh, about religion out of the process. This young man uh, went uh, and uh, acquired Christian legal representation. They brought the representation to that college. Uh, and instead of renouncing the decision... They placed an 85-year hold on the young man's account, forbidding him from registering for classes or ever having his transcripts released. You listen to me, church. Our country has gone crazy. We have turned away from the very fabric of the Judeo-Christian society that made our country what it is. The climate of Esther was eerily similar to our day. We go number two this morning to the call of Esther, the call of Esther. As Esther's cousin Mordecai 
began to describe what was needed, began to discuss the importance of her stepping up to the plate to be counted on, to plead the case for her people. There is, number one, a call of acceptance. Go back into our text, if you would. Verse number 13. Verse number 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. May I paraphrase that to say? Mordecai looked at Esther and said, Esther, you might be the queen. You might be uh, the one who is the king's favorite, but do you understand that when he finds out that you are a Jew, your faith uh, will challenge you as well? Your faith may very well be the reason that you, like all the other Jews, are executed. Verse 4, 14 rather. We've read it a few times, but I'll say it again. He goes on to say, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou in thy father's house shall be destroyed. Notes this lax clause, church. Who knowest whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? May I pause just a moment and make a very simple statement this morning. God placed Esther at that place at that time and in that situation because she had the ability to plead the case. May I say to all of us this morning, God has placed us at this time and in this place and in this situation so that we can be the ones uh, that plead the case for the believer today. I submit to you uh, that we have turned away from far too long. We have laid down our rights far too long. We have failed to step up and be counted as Christians for far too long. But I would like to say to all of us what Mordecai said to Esther. We are the right people at the right time, at the right place to make a difference for the cause of Christ. And the need is significant. The need grows greater every day. Fifteen minutes before church began this morning, I received the results from a National Pew Survey Trust, uh, a National Pew Trust survey. The Pew Trust is one of the most highly respected statistician companies in America today. They do an annual survey that examines uh, people of faith in America. Here's what they found uh, 15 minutes ago released. Number one, Christian numbers are shrinking in America. Only 50% of Americans say they believe the God of the Bible. Our members are less educated. Of those who have a high school education, 94% say they believe in God. But of those who have greater educational levels, the percentage shrinks. And once you get to college graduates, only 40% claim to believe in the Bible. Our understanding is growing smaller. Of those who identify themselves as Christians, only 80% said they believe in the Bible. 20% said they believe in a, quote, higher power. And notice carefully, our, 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 our faith is getting older. This is what staggered me the most. Less than 50% of millennials claim to be a Christian. And if you get to what is now referred to as iGen, the generation after millennials, 
they are more likely to claim to be an atheist than a Christian. Listen to me carefully, church. The battle lines have been drawn. We are very clearly at a different point in our society today. And it doesn't matter whether you're an iGen, whether you're a millennial, a Gen Xer, a baby boomer, or from the greatest generation, we need people to step up to the battlefield and say, I'm in God's army. We teach our kids to sing it. We teach our young folks, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never zoom or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Here's my question, are we? Are we in the Lord's army? Are we stepping up to make ourselves counted for the cause of Christ? Number one, she said very clearly this was a call of acceptance. It was also a call of action. In our text, please go back to verse number 8. Esther chapter 4, verse 8. Here's Mordecai's request. It says, he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree. It's given at Shushan to destroy them. By the way, the writing of the decree said that in December, at the end of the year, what is the equivalent of our December, the 12th day of the month, the 12th year, all of the Jews were to be executed. So he gives a copy of the decree to Esther, shows it unto Esther, and declares unto her, charges her that she should go into the king, make supplication unto him, and make requests before him for her people. Mordecai very openly says, here's what's going on. Here's the plight that we're facing. Here's the situation, Esther. At the end of this year, the 12th day of the 12th month, every Jew will be executed. Now, I'm asking you to help me do something about it. May I pause this morning and say very simply, it is time in our society for the people of God to stop laying down and allowing our Christian rights to be trampled on. These are the rights that forefathers died for, church. These are the foundational principles of this country. Uh, and if we don't take a stand, who will? It's a call to action. There is number one, the climate of Esther. There is number two, the call of Esther. And then there is number three, the courage of Esther. If you were with us two years ago, we went verse by verse through the entire book of Esther on Wednesday nights. The climactic moment of the first half of the chapter happens in chapter 4, verse number 16, where Esther decides she's going to take a stand. Look, if you would, at what Scripture says. Let's go back and read verse 15. Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan. Fast you for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. So I'll go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And look at the last six words. And if I perish, I perish. And if I perish, I perish. This seems strange to us in 21st century society. 
We don't understand the social cultural norms under which Esther is operating. Today, it is nothing for a husband to speak to the wife, or the wife to the husband in a very open setting. But in Esther's day, she's the queen. She cannot just barge into the king unannounced. In fact, she doesn't go see the king or speak to the king unless she's invited. She very clearly tells Mordecai, I haven't been asked for 30 days. I haven't seen my husband. I haven't talked to him. He hasn't asked for me in 30 days. Uh, Something's amiss. Something's wrong. I can't go in. And Mordecai says, you have no choice. You understand if you don't, there's no one else to. And so when she says, if I perish, I perish, she means if I die, I'll die. May I pause a moment and say, if our Christian faith dies, it will be on us, church. If we don't take a stand for the cause of Christ, if we don't publicly say, I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian, and I'm not ashamed of it, then I scare to think what will be of our country 10, 20, 30 years from now if the Lord tarries is coming. Think of how rapidly things have changed in the last 10 years. And the speed of rapidity at which things are deteriorating today, if the Lord tarries is coming, we may not even recognize this country in 20 more years. She decided to take a stand. I have a simple statement in my outline that I've highlighted many times over. And it simply says this. I don't want the Christian faith of my church, of my community compromised Well, I can do something about it. I don't want uh, on my watch as a pastor and on my watch as a community citizen uh, to see our faith die on the vine and we remain silent. She decided to take a stand. Then I love this. She decides to speak firmly yet sweetly. She decides to speak firmly yet sweetly sweetly for the sake of time we will not well you know what we got time turn to chapter five y'all not going anywhere your reservation hardies will keep amen look at chapter five verse number one came to pass on the third day that means after the three days of fasting and praying esther put on a royal apparel stood to the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. The king sat on his royal throne over against the gate of the house. It was so when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court. Let's stop right there. I want to set the stage for you. As Esther puts on her finest royal apparel, She makes herself as beautiful as possible. She goes and stands before the entrance of the king's palace. One of two things will happen. Either she will obtain favor, in which case uh, the the scepter that the king holds will remain upright. And Esther will be welcomed into the king's presence to plead her case. But if instead... Esther doesn't find favor with the king. The scepter will be lowered, 
indicating the fact that she's not in, welcomed in, she's not allowed into her, his presence, and Esther's head will be removed. Esther is facing execution by simply going to the presence of the king. You can imagine the prayer she prayed that morning. You can imagine the three days of fasting that all of the Jewish community felt. Esther was their champion. Their, all their hopes rode on the shoulders of that young lady. With great courage, Esther puts on her finery. She puts on her royal apparel. She puts on her crown and makes her presence felt. May I pause this morning and say for far too long, Christians... We've stood in the background. For far too long, we've stood on the outside, not willing to make our case felt, not willing to take a stand. For far too long, we've stood on the periphery while the world has gotten farther and further away from the teachings of the book you hold in your lap. Notice what happens. Go into your text, if you would, and notice the next verse. Verse 2, so when the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. The king held out, the queen the scepter was in his hands, Esther drew near, touched the top, said unto her, what wilt thou, queen Esther, what is thy request? And note the next clause, it shall be given thee to the half of the kingdom. You continue to read, the next verse says, Esther answered, if it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day into the banquet that I have prepared for him. You understand that Esther could have at this moment unleashed a load on the king. She could have at this moment uh, declared what Haman had done. She could have unleashed holy you-know-what uh, in the presence of the king. Uh, but she very wisely, uh, obeying the protocols of the day, spoke firmly yet sweetly. She decides that she's going to win the king with sweetness and honey instead of vinegar. What a lesson for the church. What a lesson for the church. You understand, folks, that when we attempt to shove a Bible down someone's throat, the only thing we get is a closed throat. The only thing that we get are people who will say, back off, back off. But when we win them with our kindness, with our love, with our desire to see them, we understand that there is nothing better than winning them with a dose of good old Christian love and honey. The world today, according to the pew charitable trust study views Christians as backwoods, uneducated, and people who spend their times, and I quote, watching honey boo-boos, American hoggers, and moonshiners, and spend their free time hillbilly hand fishing. Now, if you enjoy those things, more power to you. But do you understand that who we really are are normal people who work hard, who pay our taxes and our tithes and are willing to stand up and be counted for the cause of Christ. Number three, she delivers salvation. Chapter 7, you don't have to turn there. Chapter 7 gives us the end of this story. It's a staggering one. <laughs> when you read it, 
Esther prepares this great big party. She says, I want Haman and the king to be there. Haman and the king comes. The king says, Esther, what would you like? I'll give you anything to the half of the kingdom. Whether Esther is plotting in her mind or she loses her courage, she says, well, what I'd really like is for you to come to another party. So she plans another party. And at this other party, the second one, the king says, Esther, what's going on? What's the problem? And she unloads. Do you understand that by doing the parties and celebrating the king, she won him over? Do you understand what she's done is brought the king over to her side? And so now when she says, Haman is out to destroy my people. When chapter 7 closes, Haman's hanging on the gallows that he was constructing for the Jews. Haman's the one who's being hung and it become a feast of Purim throughout all of Israel to celebrate the courage of Esther. Here's why. Listen, here's why. One young girl, one young girl said, I got to do something. We've been quiet for too long. I've got to do something. I want every teenager, every young adult, every mom and dad to hear what I'm about to say. There were no churches or synagogues, no peer groups for Esther. There was nobody around Esther to bolster her up in the faith. There was no one around who would encourage her. There was nobody she could, quote, unquote, hang out with that would encourage her in her cause of Christ or her cause of the faith. You listen carefully. If we can't serve God where we are now, we won't serve God anyplace else. God has us where we are for such a time as this. So here's the question. Here's the question. Are we going to be like Esther and say, I'm going to do something. I don't know what he wants me to do, but I'm going to do something. Or are we going to be what has happened over and over and over in our society and say, somebody else, somebody else. Would you listen? There are no more somebody else's folks. We're it. We're it. And I submit to you, we're here for such a time as this. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Brother Ken, come get us a verse to sing. You know, it's interesting that as believers, we're not demanding that folks accept our faith. We're not demanding that folks change themselves for our faith. We're simply asking to be granted the right to worship God as our conscience dictates, which, by the way, is why this country was founded. Brother Ken's going to sing us one verse. One verse. I'll ask you a simple question. You're here today, and you like Esther. I don't care if you're 6 years old, 16 years old, or 86 years old. And You're like Esther, and you want to say, I'm going to do something. 
You want to step out, join me at this altar this morning. All over the building. Doesn't matter your age, come on. All over the building. Now I'm going to ask you to bow your heads while folks are moving. Nobody's looking. If you're here today, i got to ask you the most important question of the day. If you're here today and you're not sure of your salvation, you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never been gloriously born again, you'd like us to pray for you, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to pray for you. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Anyone this morning, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. I appreciate your honesty. Anyone else, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Anyone else? To you that raised your hand, may I say to you this morning, Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he died on an old rugged cross that you wouldn't have to go to hell. And I'd love for you to step out this morning and let us take this Bible and show you how you can know for sure that heaven's your home. Would you come this morning? Amen. Wonderful. This young lady, thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Sing for us, Brother Ken, right here. Sing for us. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his you being here. Give him that pulpit mic if you would. And you dismiss us in prayer, preacher, if you would this morning. Such a powerful message. I'm getting ready to pray. But as I was standing there, I was wondering where are the warriors? Warriors are those people who are not necessarily fighting to be seen or to be recognized but a warrior fights behind the scenes fights on the main line I'm getting ready to pray but if you have not brought anybody into this church and gone out into that community and latched on why are you here? If you've not gone into a home that's hurting, 
and encourage them. A marriage that's falling apart. Young people that's giving in to peer pressure. People who are giving in to gossip. The ear of the devil, the voice of the devil's in our ear. You've not done anything about it and you know. What is your purpose? I submit to you, we're wasting our time. If we are not standing up for the cause, I'm getting ready to pray. New creature, new, new, new creation in Christ. Wave your hand, Jennifer. Amen. How many praying for Jennifer this evening? You should give her a hand. Amen. That's Brother David Terry's sister. Let us bow our heads. And before I pray, I want you to put what you have in your mind that you desire most from the Lord. If you desire to be better, put that in your head. If you've got a problem that you can't solve, put that in your head. Most holy, all wise and eternal God, it is once again that you have given us this wonderful privilege of coming before your throne of mercy and of grace. And we do so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we realized, Lord, it was not of our own that we woke up. When we went down to the kitchen table, Lord, and we had food on it, we didn't put it there. When we went to our closets to put our garments on, you were the one that blessed us with it. Even as we got into our cars to come to church today, and we sat down in it and that car started up and we journeyed up the highway, got here safe and sound. Who did it? Nobody but you. Walked into this church and heard a powerful message, not from Greg, but a message that was originated from heaven itself. Well, Lord God, you know the need for champions today. You know the need, Lord, for us to stand up and fight the good fight of faith. So as I pray over this congregation, Lord God, and its pastor, I'm asking you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to send down power from above. Send down your healing, Lord. Send down your deliverance. Send down your blessings. Open the doors that have been closed, Lord. Give strength where there is weakness. Bring unity where there is division. Give hope where there is despair. Replace hatred with love. Oh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you would bless amazing grace in a most powerful way that it may be a beacon, Lord, that is set up on the hill that all the world may know there is a God that lives in this house. Bless the pastor, Lord God, and continue to endow him with wisdom and knowledge and the strength that he needs to lead your people. Every home now, visit it. Every problem, Lord, I declare it solved. Heal Every illness, Lord God. Now, Father, it is my pleasure now 
to dismiss your people from this service, but to ask you to forever keep us in your divine, tender, loving care. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and everybody all over the building said, Amen. Amen. When I get to heaven, I'm going to preach just like that. Six o'clock tonight, folks. You're dismissed. Thank you for being here this morning. See.